0: Join me in Romans chapter number four, Romans chapter number four, and uh, if you need a copy of the scriptures, there should be one in front of you in the back of the pew. We'd love for you to follow along. Romans chapter number four, we delve into a message simply entitled Seven Truths About Salvation. Seven Truths About Salvation, certainly excited how the Holy Spirit has lined up both the music and the message that he has given me uh, for you and I both this morning and we 're excited about what he has to teach us. remind us of, encourage us with uh, even today Romans chapter number four we 're going to start out we 're going to read by verses number thirteen through twenty four Romans chapter four verses thirteen through twenty four Paul is speaking uh, to Jews and, and speaking specifically of their forefather, their patriarch Abraham. And as he does, he's speaking of some things that pertain to you and I as believers today. Notice in verse number 13, Romans chapter 4, you'll join me there. I'll read out loud. You follow along. Here's what he says. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world, and we can uh, understand and read into that all the promises that God gave Israel, that God gave Abraham, that, that God gave uh, all of the forefathers, all, the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but... Through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For, there, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to the only which is of the law, but to that which also, which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay. I, I remember as a child growing up in a church like this, and we used to sing father Abraham all the time. You remember singing father Abraham, father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. and So are you. And I always wondered how in the world am I a son of Abraham? That comes from this verse right here, what we just read. He is the father of all, not just the Jewish nation, but all those specifically who have righteousness through faith. He is the father of faith, if we might describe it as such, as even this passage would. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope... "...believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And, here's faith, being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able to perform. And therefore, here's a key verse, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, verse 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that hath raised or that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. I would draw your attention to those first four words of verse 24, but for us also it was written. Literally meaning that you and I can have righteousness imputed to us, to our account. How does that happen? Well, verse 24 tells us, Believe on him that hath raised up our Lord from the dead. That is salvation. That is the gospel that we heard about in 1 Corinthians 15 a moment ago. That is what we've sung about even this morning. Salvation. It is saving faith. You remember what Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says. That if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. And then he goes on. Do you remember what the first part of verse number 10 says? Uh, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. See, back here in Romans chapter 4, he talks about righteousness being imputed to us. In other words, put on our account. It's imputed unto us. How does that happen? Well, through faith, through belief, that righteousness is imputed to our account. It begs the question, how is it possible? How in the world does God make it possible or enable for righteousness to be mine, to be put on my account, in other words, for you and I to be saved? Well, Paul would take the next six verses here in Romans chapter 4 into chapter 5. He would explain what I would call a sevenfold presentation or sevenfold truths of salvation. Look with me, if you will, verse 25. Look at just the first part. Verse 25, part A. Who was delivered for our offenses. Let's stop there. The very first thing about salvation we see is this Christ's substitution for me. Christ's substitution for me. For me. He was delivered for me. You see it there? He was delivered for not his own sins and transgressions, not his own offenses, but for ours. My sins, my transgressions, your sins, your transgressions. He was totally, completely free of sin. Uh, he was completely righteous. He alone could claim to be so. The centurion at the crucifixion, I think, he had a ringside seat, didn't he? When Jesus Christ was being persecuted and he was hung upon a cross. And I love his statement when he looked upon Christ. And and the Bible says that Christ gave up the ghost. And as he gave up the ghost, just like that flower flower just fell down and gave up the ghost, um, uh, Jesus Christ gave up the ghost. The centurion looks and he says this. Catch it. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly, this was a righteous man. Ah, this was a righteous man. He he has a righteousness that no one else can touch. No one else can come close to. He was a substitute on the cross now i don't know about you when i think of the word substitute i think of maybe a sports uh, game and i i think of someone coming off the bench going into the game and so forth and and i i like basketball and so one of the things often happens in a, in college level or even professional those guys who sit on the bench who aren't that good they come in for the last couple minutes we call it mop-up time whatever the case may be right well here if we think of the term substitute jesus christ came into the game at the worst time possible for him amen at the best time for you and I, he was a substitute. He came into this, this game, he came into this reality, a much more serious than a game. He came into it, and he went onto the cross of Calvary for you. He took your place. He took my place. He was our substitute. He was delivered for our offenses. He died on the cross in our stead, our place. And salvation, this gospel that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15, and certainly in this passage and many others, it necessitates you and I coming to the realization and understanding, Jesus Christ took my place. When we speak of salvation, one of the great truths is the reality of this substitutionary death of Christ. He died in my place. It is a central truth to the gospel that you and I realize he was perfectly sin-free. He was as righteous more than anyone else. He lived a sin-free life. He went to that cross, not for his transgressions, not for his offenses, but for ours. He died in our place. Now look with me, if you will, the rest of verse 25. Notice what else Paul would say who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Number one, Christ's substitution for me. Number two, Christ's justification of me. Christ's justification of me. The great doctrinal truth of justification that Paul writes out of throughout Romans can simply be expressed in that old statement. You've heard it before. Just as if I've never sinned just as if I've never sinned. Literally, we see the statement here, his death and resurrection sealed the deal on our justification that we would be made just. Now, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, the reality is we saw that verse in Hebrews um, just this past week on Wednesday night. Now, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the That was meant for you to fill in the blank, by the way. Let's try that again. Some of you just didn't catch that. Um, now it's a point on demand once to die, but after this the judgment. Excellent. Fantastic. Second time is always better. All right. The judgment. We're appointed. It's appointed unto man once to die. We talked about this past Wednesday night, how that's a great verse against reincarnation. Amen. And uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, here's the reality. When you and I enter eternity, we'll stand in judgment before God. And literally, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you and I will be declared to be justified. Just as if I'd never said. Now I look around and you and I see, we know our lives, we know, the Bible says, for all have sinned, all have come short. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible's very clear. So how in the world can you and I stand before the almighty, all-knowing, omniscient God of all creation and he declare us to be justified? He declares us to be free of sin. He declares you and I to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. That is impossible unless Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to us. He has made us justified. Have you ever been in a situation where you were going to meet someone maybe it was at your house and somebody was coming over and you were trying to get prepared and and you said i i need to get dressed in something better i i I need to put on something more appropriate some people uh, are coming over i'm going to meet somebody and so i i need to get dressed and and something what, what you're wearing at the time just wouldn't do for meeting that guest that person that's coming Well, the reality is, if you and I enter eternity today, and and you and I have not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we we have not trusted in Him as our Savior. We have not cried unto Him, confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that Christ God hath raised Him from the dead. My friend, you and I will stand before an Almighty God in eternity, and we will come dressed in our own iniquities. We will be clothed in our own sins. You and I will have what we think can offer, maybe good works and such. And yet the Bible tells us we are clothed in our iniquity as we stand before him. All he will see is our sinfulness, our transgressions, our iniquity. Isaiah would picture it well. You know what he said. But we all, as an, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rats. So left to ourselves, we would stand before him. Filthy in our sins. But Paul says here that Jesus Christ did what? He was raised again for our justification. When you and I stand before God, and as we trusted in Christ as our Savior, He no longer sees our filthy rags, but my friend, He sees the most beautiful robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ has placed upon us. We've seen the illustration before. If I were to bring a, uh, someone up, let's say I bring my son CJ up here, and he stands here, and, and, and I put this coat upon him. It's not his, it's mine, and yet I have placed it upon him. Such is the picture of the reality. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, righteousness is imputed to our account by faith. And so as we stand before God at the end of this life and we enter the next... We'll stand before an almighty, all-powerful, judging God, and we will have the robe of righteousness by which he sees, and he will declare you and I through faith by grace justified. Justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. And my friend, he'll open the gates of heaven to you. May I just tell you, oh, what great a salvation we have. What Christ has accomplished for you and I. We've been justified. This is what salvation is. Paul would go on to add some more nuggets to this truth. Christ's justification of you and I. Christ's substitution for you and I. Now look at Romans chapter 5. He carries over. He says this, Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, there's a lot there. Let's start here. Number 3, Christ's introduction of me to the Father in His favor. Christ's introduction of me to the Father in His favor. Number 1, Christ's substitution for me. Number 2, Christ's justification of me. And then number 3, Christ's introduction of me to the Father. In his favor. He uses the terminology, we have access. See, the Bible would tell us that before we have come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have fallen woefully short of the glory of God. Literally, do not miss it, we have been separated from God by our sins. In fact, verse 10, you'll see it if you look ahead in chapter 5. He says, you and I were at one point enemies with God. Enemies. We were diametrically opposed. We, we, we were... In fact, we could not see him. His face was hidden from us, is what the Bible says. In fact, that's here in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated uh, between you and your God. There's a great gulf, as we might describe it. There is a great division caused by your sins and my sins between us and God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear where we've come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have been shut out from the very presence of God and left to ourselves. We have no means, we we have no capabilities to be reconciled with him, to be at peace with him. But what does Paul say in verse one? Jesus Christ changed it all. In salvation and what he did on the cross, in justifying you and I, he has made us at peace. We now have peace with God. Since we are justified in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. The door has been opened. The relationship between God and man has been restored by Christ Jesus. He states it plainly in verse 2, doesn't he? He says that you and I have been introduced to God through Jesus. We've gotten access. Hey, 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 do you know so-and-so? Could you introduce me to him? The only way that you and I could be introduced to God and be reconciled to him was through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. He opened heaven's door and that means you and i likewise and i love what paul says here we have access now to the grace of god we have access to the good graces of our god literally we have now obtained the favor of god the god of the universe through our salvation in jesus christ now listen that ought to make even a baptist get excited That through salvation, you and I have been introduced. We have access to the God of the entirety of creation, of universe, and we now can experience the full favor of God. Everything that's at his hand, he says, it's yours. It's yours. Every good grace, it's yours. And it's only yours through Jesus Christ. Through salvation found in him alone. We are truly blessed. But there's also another reminder here. You see, he certainly points out that Christ's substitution for us, Christ's justification of us, Christ's introduction of us to the Father in His favor. But then he also says this grace wherein we stand. And my friend, that speaks to the reality of the position we have through Christ. My position through Christ how i stand yeah as i stand in in the sense before in that judgment that comes i stand in the righteousness of christ but he says also the grace wherein we stand here we stand in grace we can do nothing to gain it we can do nothing to maintain it and we can do nothing to lose it it is only mine through jesus christ I like to put it this way, it is my standing only through the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. The only way that I can stand in the grace of God is through what Jesus Christ did and God's grace extended to me. You remember Paul would later write this, "For by grace are ye saved." Salvation's of grace. It's the grace of God. It's been shown unto all men, it's been given unto man, just a few Chapters earlier, what would Paul call salvation? He said it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. He would also say that in Ephesians it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's literally the gracious gift of God. And yet it is not a fluke. And this is what I love about the salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. It's not the position of a second class citizen, it's not the place of someone who just slipped in and doesn't really belong. Do you realize by this grace? that you and I are legitimate members of God's family. He has invited us in. He has included us into his family as, yes, adopted children. I love how John says. John said this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Could you imagine that outside of the salvation that you and I know of in Jesus Christ, this would blow our minds to think that you and I could ever be called the sons of God. But my friend, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is not only possible, it is reality. That you and I are the sons of God. Turn with me, if you will. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. Just a couple chapters over, Paul will write of this truth here in Romans chapter 8. Notice it, we'll pick up in verse number 17. Romans chapter 8 and verse, uh, excuse me, I said 17, verse 14, we'll read down through verse 17. Notice this, this familial reference throughout this passage notice what he says verse 14 for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry in this term of uh, uh, of closeness sentiment we cry abba father The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him that we may be also glorified together. Powerful statement, powerful uh, expression that you and I are the children of God, we are the heirs of God, we are the joint heirs with Christ. How is that possible? Through Jesus Christ alone, through salvation. May I just say it here, and obviously I would guess that you've picked up on the reality of this. If you're here today and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, none of these things are true for you. All that we have spoken, you are like a person standing on the outside of this auditorium and you're looking in the window. You're not experiencing it. You will not experience it. You are not benefiting from it at all. You're on the outside looking in. But I'll tell you this morning, today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. And all of these things will be true for you. This day, you can be part of the family of God. And Christian, you're sitting here today, could I just encourage you, never take it for granted that you are a son and daughter of God Almighty. You are in the very family of God. It is a position you and I hold, how? By the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. He did it for us on the cross. He made it possible for you and I to have this position Salvation's substitution, salvation's justification, salvation's introduction, salvation's, as we've seen here, salvation's position. Then I'd have you to look at verse 2, would you? Verse 2, the last part, verse, chapter 5, verse 2 again. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, reality is this. We really did not know jo- rejoicing until we came to know Jesus Christ. Number five, we'll put it this way. My exaltation because of Christ. My exaltation because of Christ. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.8? 1 he says, when you and I know Jesus Christ, we are filled with a joy unspeakable in abounding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's a bounty. It's just, it's full of glory. It is a joy unspeakable. What's the source of this joy? Why today should Christians be running around with more joy than anybody else in the world? Why should you and I be constantly rejoicing in spite of trials and difficulties and heartaches and disappointments? Why? Why should we rejoice? Well, this salvation that we have and all that it brings. Number one, we are justified, literally regarded by God as righteous. We ought to rejoice over that. You cannot do it yourself. It was impossible. There is no pretense upon which you could stand before God and be declared righteous but Jesus Christ has made it possible. My friend, if it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, and you and I know that we're going to stand before an almighty God and the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ will be applied, can I just tell you right now, we have absolutely no need to fear death. We have absolutely no need to fear that judgment because it's all been settled in Jesus Christ. And our salvation, he has afforded us number two you know why we should rejoice we have unlimited access to favor god's favor his presence and you can abide there you can sit and rest a while in god's favor you can experience it on a daily basis it's unlimited access okay i love unlimited don't you i love a good buffet i love unlimited i love unlimited refills on dr pepper that is like almost heaven amen We like unlimited, don't we? Can I just tell you, you and I have access, unlimited access to the very presence of God, to the favor of God, and we can rest there. There's not a day in your life, listen to me, there's not a day in your life that you need to go through again without God. There's not a day. You don't have to go through any moment. You don't have to go through any day. You don't have to go through any week without God because of Jesus Christ, you will never be alone. And his favor and his goodness will always be with you. It's what we've gained. It ought to bring us great joy every day. I don't have to face this day alone. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice in it. Why? Because he is with me every step of the way. Number three, you know what else is a source of our joy? We have the promise and the prospect of greater and richer blessings in the fullness of God's glory when we enter heaven. I love the, the statement here as we read it. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's greater things to come, greater things to come. Heaven's going to be more, better and greater than you and I could ever imagine. When we did a series on heaven, you remember us preaching through that, and uh, there's not a ton of books out there written by different theologians and commentaries, and, and uh, a lot of it's supposition. A lot of it is based certainly on what we do know of Scriptures, and that is, that's exciting, what you and I got to see from the Scriptures. But my, there's so much more about heaven that we don't have a clue. We don't know. But can I tell you, look this way. You better believe it will be good. He will not withhold any good thing from you. He loves you that much. And my friend, heaven is going to be a glorious place. It will be full of the glory of God for you and I to enjoy. This is what salvation has given us. It causes us to rejoice in Jesus Christ, our King. I think Charles Wesley, boy, the, you read through this and you understand what the Bible is saying. It ought to cause you and I to break out in song, much as we've sung about this morning. I like what Charles Wesley did. He, he was contemplating this reality of all we have in Christ, of all that he's given us. And it moved him to pen a hymn. You know it well. It's entitled, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Here's what he wrote in verses 2 and following. He said, Jesus, the Savior reigns, the God of truth and love. When he has purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He goes on in verse number 3. His kingdom shall not fail. He rules over earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again. I say rejoice. And he finished it off with verse 4. And I think he references even what Paul is saying here in Romans. Rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord and judge shall come. And take his servants up to their eternal home. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. If if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, my friend, can I tell you two things are true. You have joy, unspeakable, full of glory. And you have a source for joy that will never end. Throughout the days of your life, however short or long it is, the reality is there is a joy to our salvation. David lost it when he sinned, and he said, Return unto me the joy of my salvation. Salvation brings joy. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the reality is it is with us every day as we contemplate, consider the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. So great joy can be ours every single day. It is unmatched by anything else. The source will never go away. You're a child of God today. You've trusted him. You have joy and you have a source of unmatched joy. We turn our attention to verses three and four. Look with me there, if you will. Verses three and four. He says this, and not only so, okay, not only is that the one source and the great source of our rejoicing, but we also glory in tribulations. Now that's an interesting statement, right? We glory in tribulations also. Knowing, and here's why, here, here's why. You say, well, why is that, Paul? Well, we know this. We know that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, and experience, hope, okay? We, we've seen several things here. Now I would have us see this simple reality. My education made possible by Christ. My education made possible by Christ. Christ's substitution for me, Christ's justification of me, Christ's introduction of me to the Father in his favor, my position through Christ, my exaltation because of Christ, And now we see number six, my education made possible by Christ. Don't miss this. I think Paul hits upon a great truth here, and and we certainly know the passage, but I want you to see something. We don't often tie it to the reality of salvation. You see, salvation opens the door for life to have meaning, purpose, and direction. Did you catch that? Paul has presented to us the truths of salvation. He's saying, here here are some sevenfold truths. Here are some, some things we've got to understand about salvation. And one of them is this. Once you and I are saved, it has purpose, it has direction, it has meaning that it didn't have before. And he applies it to something we all face in life, something that we all encounter. You see, it's simply this. All trials and troubles and tribulations... They now mean something. They mean something. There, there, there's purpose behind it. There, uh, there, there's something intended. For the person who doesn't know Christ, and if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus Christ, the reality is this the tribulations and trials and in, in such of life, they're bumps in the road. They're inconveniences to be avoided. There's something you don't want to have. They're, they're bothersome interruptions to a good life. And you may even say, "Well, man, this—I've just been dealt a bad hand by fate. I've just been getting a terrible—I mean, look at—they seem to be hunky dory. Everything's good, and man, fate has just dealt me a bad hand." Now, I tell you, can I tell you that is a purposeless and a meaningless kind of life? Everything that happens in my life—I guess it just has to happen, and I don't know why, and 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 it means nothing. But boy, if I know Jesus Christ. If I've been saved through Christ, the reality is this. Life's experiences are the classroom of God. Salvation makes all the difference. Every circumstance and situation is another layer. It's another grade. Many of our students here, our children here, they finished a grade this past May or or June, and now heading into August, they'll start their next grade. Can I tell you, every single circumstance, every single tribulation, every single trial is just you and I moving along in God's classroom. We're graduating to the next level. We're moving along. He has something to teach us. In fact, did you see the word here? He says our master for god will use such things in our life to work good in us I like the terminology. He says this tribulation worketh patience It produces it Uh, Patience then worketh experience experience then it worketh hope Life's experiences would be for naught if we don't know jesus christ and weren't saved Can I just ask you what have you gone through this past week? (laughs) What have you gone through this past month? What have you gone through this past year? What have you gone through the last few years? Can I tell you, if you didn't know Jesus Christ, they would be meaningless, purpose uh, without purpose, and you'd have no direction in this life. But aren't you thankful today if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Everything means something. Everything means something. God has a plan for it. God is doing something. He's working something in your life because you are in the very classroom of God. It's an education that's not possible apart from salvation. It's all a part of his great plan to grow us, mold us, and make us into a glorious vessel for his use. Can I just put it this way? And maybe this will be something you can remember. Salvation has enrolled us in the best school there is. God's school for the justified and redeemed. It's the best school there is. The best classroom you could ever go to. It's better than Harvard and Yale. It's better than Michigan State and University of Michigan. I apologize. It's better than any school you can think of. What has enrolled you in it? The moment you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you and I have been enrolled in the school for the redeemed and the saved. And my friend, that gives everything in life, purpose, meaning, and direction. Man, isn't our salvation good? Don't we have a lot in what God has given us in this salvation That only comes through Jesus Christ. One last truth, number seven. Paul mentions in verse five. Look with me, if you will, verse number five. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Ah, what a great truth. Number seven, my possession, my possession because of Christ. My possession because of Christ. We are given the Holy Spirit certainly that is part of that possession but he does something marvelous according to the word here in this verse he is the means the tool by which the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts now don't miss this the greek word here as we find it the verb tense in the passage you know what it says when it says his love is shed abroad in our hearts it literally means this it's an action that is a completed action Okay, it's been done. The moment you saved, God shed his love. However, it also indicates that there's an ongoing experience or benefits or effects of that love. You remember what I often will from this pulpit say, salvation is the gift that keeps on giving, giving. And that's literally what the love of God. We sang just a moment ago about (laughs) uh, love came down, love did this, right? Love made it possible, so it's true. God shed his, the word um, shed abroad here as we read in verse five, it is also translated as poured out. It's just pouring it out. You You ever have a kid that just poured out his drink and it went everywhere? Or you ever pour out something that just goes everywhere? Well, that's the picture here. It's shed abroad, it's poured out. You see, when Christ came, died on the cross of Calvary, the love of God was poured out for all to see. When you and I came and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment of conversion, you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he pours out, he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. And yet it is an experiential love, meaning that you and I get to enjoy it every day. It's shed abroad. God's love is there for you and I to experience on a daily basis, the effects and such. You and I can live in the light of the love of our Heavenly Father, You know, it would do you and I good to just remind ourselves today, God loves me. God loves me. And you and I can immediately think, as my heart will often do, our heart will often condemn us. Yeah, but you did this this week. You did that that week. Hey, can I just tell you, in salvation, God says this, I love you. Oh, I know you're a sinner. I know you've done things. But I love you. And it would do us good on some days just to remind ourselves that God loves me. And it is a love that can nothing can separate us from the love of God. No, nothing can destroy it. Nothing can change it. It is a gift that you will never lose. We might put it this way. My heavenly Father loves me. And that love is poured out continuously in my heart after salvation. The older I get, the more favorite hymns i say i have amen i have a bunch of them i love the different hymns because they express so well many of them do at least the scripture certainly one of my top five i'll at least put it there is this hymn i think we sang in either last wednesday or last sunday i am his and he is mine salvation makes it possible and, and I, as I was thinking, and the Lord was leading me in the preparation of this message, and I was thinking about that one verse, and I'm thinking, oh my, oh my. It's like the, the hymn writer read Romans chapter 4 and verse, chapter 5. He understood all of these truths. Notice what he said. He said this, love with an everlasting love, drawn by grace, that love to know. Spirit, that possession sent from Christ above. In dwelling me, you witness that it is so. Oh, verse 1 this full and precious peace from his presence, access all divine, and a love that cannot cease. I am his, and he is mine. My friend, that is only possible today through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I am his, and he is mine. I leave you with the last consideration of that first part of verse 5. We kind of skipped over it. It simply says this, and hope maketh not ashamed. Okay, you, you ever hope for something and then afterwards you feel a foolish for hoping for it, wishing for it, getting excited about it? Yeah, you, you ever feel that? I'll tell you that way. Hey, I experienced it this past, uh, this past spring. Okay? Many of you know I'm a Purdue Boilermaker fan, I love the University of Purdue. They had a number one seed in a basketball tournament, the national basketball tournament. And what did they do? Number one seed, they lose their very first game. I was all excited. I was all hoping, boy, they're going to win. They're going to do great. This may be the year Purdue actually finally wins one since 1940-something. Okay, some of you fans of other teams can understand the pain. Detroit Lions, let's just mention that, okay. (laughs) We understand that pain, right? Okay, I was all excited, I was hoping, and and they lost that very first game. And I'm like, I I am a fool for hoping that they'd win it all. Do you understand that's exactly what this verse means? This is a hope that will not make you ashamed. When you hope in Jesus Christ, and if we might put it this way, This hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it does not, it will not disappoint. You ever hope for something and been disappointed? You ever wish for something and been disappointed? You ever, "Ah, I mean, I, I, I went this, and just been disappointed? Can I tell you right now, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you will never be disappointed. Never. It will not disappoint. There'll never be a time when you feel shame for hoping in Jesus Christ. You see, to be saved through faith and trust in Jesus Christ is to be set for life. This life and the next. There's so many out here in this world who would say, ah, I just wish I could win the lottery and I'd be set for life. I just wish I had this job and everything was given to me and I, I'd be set for life. Oh, my friend, you want to be set for life? You just trust in Jesus Christ. This life and the next, and you'll be all set. How is that possible? Because salvation is the gift that has given us so much, and it is the gift that keeps on giving. Could I encourage you today, one of two things? If you're here today and you say, Pastor Henry, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if I die today, I know I'm going to heaven. Then, my friend, could I encourage you to rejoice in and be thankful to God for salvation substitution, salvation's justification, salvation's introduction, salvation's position, salvation's exaltation salvation's education and salvation's possession. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Henry, if you were to ask me if I died today, if I knew where I'd go, I, I'd have to say I don't know for sure. I'm not sure, right? I've thought about it often, I, I, but I, I don't think I've ever put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. May I just be frank and honest with you this morning? What you see up here is not yours. You cannot claim a one of them. You cannot rejoice in, you cannot uh, joy in what we have talked about, what we have done already this morning as those who trust in Jesus Christ. But the good news is, you can today. Every single one of these can be yours if you'll simply put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Won't you do it today? Christian, won't you ask God to return unto you the joy of your salvation? Father, we thank you for your word. We are so very grateful, so very thankful for it. We ask now that you bless in this invitation. We pray you'd speak to every heart. Father, I pray that.